Hi there. As you can tell by my voice, I'm not Stavros Yanuka. My name is Sara Fayad, and I'm a member of the WISE team. Today, I'm extremely excited to present this special episode of WISE Words. In this episode, we will focus on one of the themes that we found most interesting. This theme was discussed during our regional gathering WISE at Accra. Our aim through this episode is to delve deeper and understand how can we galvanize a community to transform a continent through education. This episode brings to an end season one of Wise Words, and it is our way to transfer the truly unique experience and knowledge shared during Wise at Accra. We hope you find this special episode enjoyable. By the year 2050, more than half of the world's population growth will take place in Africa, and the continent will be home to 40% of all children in the world. Providing quality education to equip young Africans with the tools to tackle current and future challenges to drive social and economic growth is therefore a global imperative. That's why we at WISE decided to engage with our community in Sub-Saharan Africa to understand how the world can tap into the potential of young Africans through education. So in May of 2018, we gathered more than 400 education practitioners, policymakers, entrepreneurs, government officials, civil society activists, and learners from the region in our first event in Sub-Saharan Africa, WISE at Accra. The one-day event was under the theme, Unlocking the World's Potential, Leading and Innovating for Quality Education in Africa. During the forum, we discussed many topics, including going beyond access to achieve quality education. We also celebrated young African innovators who are defying the status quo and debated the role of the private sector and philanthropy in funding educational programs. It seems that whenever we're talking about education and education development in the broader sense, we talk about the role of teachers, we talk about students, infrastructure, government, but we seem to forget about the broader community. In this episode, we want to delve deeper into that. We want to understand what is a community and why is the community important in the education process? Communities possess the social capital, the knowledge capital, the trust capital and the institutional capital that comes together to solve some of the really challenging problems that they face on a daily basis. That was Dolores Dixon, Executive Director of Camfet Canada and former Director of Camfet Ghana. You might have heard Dolores before on Wise Words podcast. Dolores is an avid supporter of empowering youth by coming up with solutions created by the community for the community. So to take this deeper, how can we define a community and how does it look like on the ground and who are the different stakeholders who are part of this community? I would like to use an all-encompassing goal. A community is a group of people with a shared goal because sometimes our value of community is too narrow. You start off by saying it takes a village to raise a child. We always use that, but it actually has great truth at the core. Community is everybody who is invested in seeing our children and our youth have a different trajectory than they have now. A chance to succeed, that is the community. 
That was Joe Besford. Joe is the executive director of Green Shoots, an education social enterprise based in South Africa that blends the use of cloud-based resources, online learning, and professional development to implement data-informed decision-making across schools and education districts. For Joe, it is impossible to deliver programs without engaging those who have the best interests of learners. The community is indeed the ecosystem that can shape the trajectory of an educational program. Each ecosystem has a different context. Let's listen to Joe again. Context matters. Context varies wildly, even a geographical area. Honestly, with the amount of money going into African education, if it was easy to deliver quality education, we'd have done it by now. It's not. So you start by understanding where we are and listening. The other thing, oh, don't copy and paste. It worked in Finland. Yeah, it worked in Finland. It's a whole different ball game. So we can't, particularly with EdTech, now I am actually a promoter of EdTech in the right places, but EdTech, you think, oh yeah, we stick EdTech in there, it's gonna work everywhere. You cannot copy and paste. So even if we have parents, learners, local leaders, and the community at large engaged in an educational program, fully participating and backing that solution, policies that are based on copying and pasting could actually lead for that specific solution to fail. Let's look at an example. In a recent article published by the Brookings Institute titled Brazil Can Improve Education by Copying Its Own Success, the author outlines that within one country, such as Brazil, there are variations, for example, infrastructure and teacher attainment. Certain policies can indeed be copied and adapted, but there are solutions that need not be copied. Just because it worked in the South doesn't mean it's going to work in the North. That means that each policy should be evaluated and adapted even when we're talking about the same country. In Ghana, there's a saying that the person who sits closest to the fire is the one who can determine the temperature of the fire. This is a great metaphor. The community indeed sits closest to the fire and has the local knowledge and tools to come up with localized solutions. In sub-Saharan Africa, there is a great deal of innovative projects that are leapfrogging and accelerating the development of education. What they all have in common is that they place the community in the center of learning. Let's listen to Noella Corseras Musunga, founder of Malaika Foundation, a grassroots nonprofit that educates and empowers girls and their community in the Democratic Republic of Congo. I think it's very important, uh, the key success of developing a village is really um, to work in collaboration, number one, with the community. Without the community, a program will fail. So we're really developing since 11 years a village where we built a school, in a village where there's no water, where there's no electricity. For uh, 280 students, they arrive at five years old and they finish at 18 years old. We offer them a holistic program where they have breakfast, where they have lunch, sport activities, music, IT classes. We have the community center where we're teaching the mother to do sewing, reading, writing, to the parents, to the youth, and where we use so, uh, sport 
support as a social uh, implementation of an awareness about health issues and uh, different programs and we grow our own food and the school go to the to the school and we build wells every year because water is a massive uh, important uh, component for the health of the, the communities. I think what I've seen in the 11 years is very important to really invest in grassroots organization and it's really important to invest in villages. In the village of Kalebuka where we are in a country where is one of the richest countries in Africa, Congo, where we're seeing uh, that the mortality rate is 47 years old, 7 million of children don't go to school, people living under $2 a day. It's, uh, and in the village where we are, it's not even 25% of the population can read and write. So that is unbelievable. They will, uh, they're digging the minerals that what you have in your phone and laptop, but they probably will never have a, an iPhone or a laptop. So how can we can tackle in the future to develop more villages through education, through health programs, where we involve the government, the uh, civil society, and the private sector. I think that's really to give them a voice because villages cannot be forgotten. And the big problem we have is the infrastructure to arrive in all these villages, uh, the electricity, the school, and the programs we have, we are obligated to put panel solar. To be, to be able to cook, to be able to teach uh, IT classes, and etc. So is, we're talking really about fundamental, ba fundamental basic that is needed to run programs and to be able to serve underprivileged population. It is clear then that without having a holistic approach, where the context of that specific community is taken into account, a program won't meet its goals. Providing tablets to a group of students who do not have access to electricity does not make sense. Creating a great classroom environment for students who do not show up to school won't yield any results. It may seem obvious, but you'll be surprised how many well-intentioned international NGOs fail to take into account local realities when proposing solutions. Beside having a holistic approach in designing a program, it is important to also outline clear goals of learning and engage the entire community in the process of creating those goals. This is what Carl Menlan, Chief Operating Officer of EcoBank Foundation, had to say about setting clear goals for learning. Education needs to have a purpose, and um, that purpose for me are jobs. It is the greatest equalizer that you can have in society. And we cannot continue to say that we want to educate people for the sake of educating them. At some point, we need to ask ourselves, as a society, can we imagine what the society will look like in 10, 15, 20 years from now? I know it is changing very fast. But if we take the examples of, of Singapore, for example, in a particular context, they had a plan. If we take to today closer to us, Ethiopia, Ethiopia, regardless of the political changes, has a plan, which means that there is predictability. So for any investor, and if you look at why, for example, today um, Ethiopia has become the major, China invests a lot in, in Ethiopia, is because there's predictability. They know where this country is going, and they want to accompany that country. And today, a country like Ethiopia that has about 100 million people, something is changing. But it's an organic change. How many countries in our region in West Africa, can anyone ever say we know where we are going? That's an interesting take on the purpose of education. I'm sure some of us might question or flat out disagree with the premise. What do you think is the purpose of education? Please let us know in the comment below.
Going back to Carl, he also introduces another currency found in abundance that needs to be tapped into. This currency is seldom used within the education ecosystem. So what is this currency? Creativity is a new money, and we must not devalue that currency. If we really want to see the change that are required in the community. And for me, the most creative communities are in the streets of Accra, Lagos, Abidjan, Bangui. Every day, they create opportunities for themselves. Yet, they have not been part of this education system that has trained me, but every day, they provide a solution for people that are sitting in traffic. But we are not able to value that. The Africa we have is informal. The Africa we want, we may not see it. But in the process of seeking that Africa we, we want, what are the skills that we need to impart to our children? Can we imagine a system where we bring what we call the street vendors into a classroom to teach skills around negotiation, around marketing, supply chain management? That's probably what will allow my daughter, that's probably what will allow my daughter who's going through a formal system to realize that she's part of a larger community. To Carl, it is important not to exclude the most creative individuals from the education system. Well, his idea is not far from reality. Amina Belghithi, cultural entrepreneur and head of creative partnerships at Instagram, shared her recent experience in Senegal where a group of artists who are traditionally not in the education equation contribute through informal programs in raising awareness about important issues such as well-being and mental trauma and help in developing young people. Let's listen to Amina. A group of passionate curators and artists and patrons who join forces to support uh, projects in public spaces that are deeply anchored in their communities and in their cities, um, and that are going to engage in public programming that is inclusive and that really values experimental. So rather than asking our youth to go to a museum, to go to an institution, why don't we actually turn it around and ask them to commission work from these artists and actually have that work take place in their communities, in their neighborhoods. Um, and so we did a first project uh, just last week, actually, in Dakar. Um, and the artist um, actually uh, worked with wrestlers. So wrestling is one of the oldest and, and most popular traditions in Senegal, much more than football. He invited professional wrestlers to fight against an object that symbolizes their social struggle. So something that was invisible, something that was an inner battle um, that was made manifest. So you could imagine um, uh, these, uh, these wrestlers fighting a bed, an electronic appliance, a fishing net. and and inviting the people in the audience, over 300 um, who are actually there in HLM in Dakar, to articulate and verbalize their own battles. Why does this matter? Why is this different than, than what you might imagine? I think two things. One is wrestlers are role models for young people, boys and girls alike. They're leaders in their own right. And so for the young people witnessing these battles between their heroes and everyday objects, it may have been funny at first. They weren't quite sure what to make of it. But they were then encouraged to ask questions and take part in meaningful, critical conversations about social struggle, about materialism, about consumerism. And you know, hearing it from the heroes, as opposed to from their parents, makes all the difference. Experiencing it in the heart of their own neighborhood, 
actually distributing flyers to get their friends to come attend this particular uh, performance. Um, having one of the biggest radio hosts in wrestling come and actually narrate the wrestling match um, makes this all the more uh, inclusive and exciting and opens conversations in ways that I think we haven't seen yet. This is a prime example on how creativity is used in Senegal to start important conversations, develop critical thinking skills within young people, and engage non-traditional role models in the learning experience. To me, this is not copying and pasting. So how do we get young people to be involved and motivated to take part and start such conversations that aim in developing their own skills and transforming their communities. If you want youth to change, they have to be engaged in the process. Because otherwise, you can't do learning to anybody. They have got to be want, they've got to be engaged, they have got to be excited. It's like you say, I'm not going to stay in school if I'm bored. But if you are engaging me, you're giving me prospects, you're giving me hope, I'm going to fight. Now we understand the importance of youth buy-in. Let's imagine we have the youth buy-in in a certain community in sub-Saharan Africa or around the world. How do we get a community like that neighborhood in Dakar to completely own their growth and progress, to accept non-traditional role models as educators, and to make the space for discussions of important social challenges in a culturally contextual and innovative manner. Too many times buy-in is about compliance when it comes to education. I'm doing it because you're watching me, because you're looking over my shoulder, because I've got a report to be in. If you want buy-in, it's about people who believe in it. Then it's sustainable. How does that happen? Well, first, like we said, you've got to have a value. You've got your shared goal. Yes, I know why we're doing it. Now I know why. How? Too many innovations fail because we stop at the capacity building. People are overwhelmed. People actually want to change. They just, it's too fast, too much. People feel threatened. But that was my job. That was what I knew. It's about realizing that there's a new role, particularly with teachers and ed tech. You have a very valuable role. It's just changing. It's more valuable, more human. It's about having the capacity to know, okay, this is how I do it. This is what I do. I know why. I know how. Then really the buy-in bit is I want to do it when you're not here. I want to do it because I believe in it. Then, then you've got community buy-in. It's I know why I'm doing it, I know how to do it, but I actually want to do it. And then the absolute unicorn is I actually want to take it beyond. I'm going to embed it, and I'm going to do things you never even thought of. That's how we're going to change Africa. When everybody makes it theirs and think, I'm going to extend the impact because I believe in it. And it's not just the usual suspects, it's everybody everybody with a vested interest in seeing those youth. I mean, we've got the potential. We've heard all the figures today. Africa's youth can change not just the continent, they can change the world if they're equipped. We can now conclude that young Africans have the potential to transform their own realities and with it, that of the world's. So that children born in the year 2050 grow in supportive communities where learning is at the center of education. 
But for this to happen, young Africans must start with their local communities, their cities, their towns, their villages. They possess the capital and represent the ecosystem that can, in truth, make or break an educational program. For an educational solution to work, it must be contextual to a specific community. The community members must be identified and engaged in creating the goals of that program. Knowing what's out there in the world is good. Knowing what is a good practice is excellent. But any solution should be adapted to the realities of that specific community. There must be a deliberate move to engage non-traditional actors in the learning process. They exist all around us and they're innovating on a daily basis. Finally, once the community and all its members own that specific solution, they will innovate and take it forward. From my experience as a teacher and an education development practitioner, I witnessed firsthand how well-intentioned programs fail to see outcomes as they invest in everything but the community. This episode featured conversations from our regional event, Wise at Accra. WiseAt is a series of local and regional gatherings that take place between our biennial global summit. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to our SoundCloud channel or on iTunes. We would love to hear your thoughts and feedback about this episode and the previous ones, so please leave a comment. This episode brings to an end Season 1 of Wise Words.